Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, January 6th. I'm Desiree Frazier, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, officials in the capital city announce a $600 million infusion of federal funding to fix its aging water system. Then we examine how members of the Jackson Public Schools community are managing unexpected disruptions. Plus, business leaders lobby lawmakers to consider more economic investment this legislative session. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I am thrilled to stand here today to formally announce that with the passing of the $1.7 trillion federal omnibus bill, we are one step closer to securing the estimated $2 billion needed to recover and fully modernize Jackson's water system. The city of Jackson is receiving $600 million through the recently passed omnibus spending bill to fix its ailing water system. Mayor Shokwe Antarlamumba says negotiations between his congressional delegation and federal officials began in November to secure the funding to improve aging and inadequate infrastructure. He says the Christmas weekend freeze only further highlighted the critical need for financial support. This most recent episode with freezing pipes and broken distribution lines over the holidays have only added insult to the indignity that Jacksonians have endured for far too long. The years of neglect have created a system that is unacceptable and inhumane. Mr. Hennepin's role in Jackson as the interim third-party manager is to repair the broken water system. The stipulated order empowers and authorizes him to use his expertise to identify and resolve the issues with the system. As your mayor, I remain the chief executive of the city, and more specifically as it relates to the water system, it is my responsibility to secure the funding that will support Ted's work and move Jackson's water system forward. The mayor says plans and priorities for the funds are still being finalized. The city is currently focused on bringing steady water pressure back to the people of Jackson. Ted Hennepin, the third-party administrator, as you heard, is tasked with fixing the system. He says the money will help experts do their jobs to provide the residents of Jackson with an adequate water system. 
the first part, needing to know more about the system, get more data, build a model. That, that work's all happening. So the, the foundational work has already started to understand more about the distribution system. And, and the mayor graciously has referenced my expertise. I'm really not the expert. It's a lot of other people. And here in Jackson, I've been relying heavily on Jordan Hillman and Terrence Bird, who have great knowledge. We just don't have all the tools we need. And so we're going to apply the tools, bring in some more expertise. I'm just really like the quarterback. I'm handling the, handing the ball to the people that can take the, the, the plays further along, put the projects in place. So a lot of this is going to be there's some obvious things that need to happen right away, and, and those are listed really in the 13 priority projects that are in the stipulated order. And those were discussed over months with EPA, with the city, with input from a lot of folks. And so th that's obviously got to be my priority because that's what I've been, you know, the judge has told me to get those 13 done. And uh, everything else we do, uh, we're figuring out along the way. And as the, the mayor pointed out, it was bringing expertise, you know, and again, I'm using the quotes because I just bring other people along into this situation without funding would have been really challenging. And that's what it looked like all the way up to the time the order was signed that I was going to be handed a lot of responsibility. And if you read the order carefully, it talks about me going to find money. Thankfully, uh, the mayor and all his partners came through with the money to actually make this job possible. Mayor Lumumba says that a full fix of the system would cost roughly $2 billion. Coming up, how members of the Jackson Public Schools community are managing unexpected disruptions. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. When you look at your vehicle, think of MPB. Need to get rid of your ride? Donate it by calling 877-MPB-4-CAR. Need to have some work done on your truck? Listen to AutoCorrect Thursdays at 10, Saturdays at 11. An MPB license plate reminds you that MPB is with you wherever you go. Go to your county office and ask for an MPB car tag. MPB and cars, better together. On Money Talks, we discuss money news and take your questions about personal finance. For 15 years, we've provided free financial information for Mississippians. I hope you can join me, Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, co-host of Money Talks, Tuesdays at 9 a.m. or anytime on our podcast. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. When the pandemic hit in 2020, it brought a wave of disruptions to the education community and widely introduced the concept of virtual learning. Since then, many school districts in the state have resumed traditional classroom learning without the worry over further interruptions. But for scholars in Jackson Public Schools, it hasn't just been COVID outbreaks interfering with instruction. For the second time this school year, classes have gone virtual due to outages in the city's water system. Eric Green is the superintendent of JPS. He tells our Michael Gidry the pandemic helped the district equip itself for this moment, but unplanned shifts to virtual learning still bring challenges. We, like many other districts, maybe most other districts in the state and across the country, around the world really, um, were not uh, positioned to uh, with one device per scholar we had to build that infrastructure up. And, and so thankfully, um, due to the pandemic and the relief dollars, we were able to do that and position ourselves there. But um, for any district that has launched a one-to-one, -one, uh, and that's what we call it in EduSpeak, uh, one-to-one um, 
program or initiative, it's something that they plan for over time. And so you, you plan to have the devices in, you plan for uh, orienting young people to use the devices, and you do tons of planning with your instructional staff to support them in uh, delivering instruction um, uh, digitally in ways that you, you just have, had not done previously. It's uh, far less than perfect uh, because we've been doing the work while learning how to do the work. And so, um, but we still have, as with many uh, rural communities here in the state and, and many urban communities with, um, with communities of, of uh, in poverty, mm-hmm. we still have lots of scholars who are not connected or, not, or don't have stable connectivity. And so while we now have the devices and there's still this issue of connectivity uh, that uh, prohibits some of our scholars from, from connecting with us. And so we're in a better place, um, but it's not 100%, and we're still learning. We're still teaching young people that brings me to when you have disruptions like this and you, you've been able to, like you've mentioned, you've been able to, while not perfect and while still learning, build some type of infrastructure that allows you to, 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 to shift to virtual learning. Um, what do disruptions like this do to the learning environment um, when you have a district uh, that is still, still adapting to the use of technology? Uh, and 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 even more than that, the theory that this that in in person interaction is a very very key element in education. Right. It's um. I mean, it's it's very disrupting. Uh, very disruptive. The you know one <laughs> one of the disruptions is that um, these are not planned disruptions. <laughs> these are not planned shifts to virtual learning. You know, if we if we know that. In January, uh, on January 5th, that scholars will be virtual, then you ensure that, that those who don't have devices at home, that they take them home from school. You check in with parents about connectivity. Do you still have connectivity? Is it strong? You know, et cetera, et cetera. You check in with parents with regarding um, uh, custodial care. You know, those are all the challenges with regard to the logistics and and just how you approach virtual learning here. I I do want to say that there there are lots of benefits to it as a supplement, as an aspect of it it being virtual learning, um, as a supplement, as an aspect of uh, the learning experience that young people would have. Um, I would say, though, that it's, it's better than just closing school or it's better than what we had to do in early pandemic days where we developed work packets and scholars just kind of did their best and maybe they had some support at home or maybe they didn't or could talk to a teacher on the phone for a few minutes to get unstuck with a piece of the work or what have you. It was just it was pretty horrible then. So having the devices and being able to provide some virtual instruction is certainly better than that, um, but it's 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 you know, it's certainly not what we're able to do when our scholars are with us in the building and we can support them with proximity and and, um, answering questions and even anticipating some of their challenges and and misunderstanding. When when I hear you talk about, you know, when you can plan for it, it's much different than when it's a a real disruption, when it comes unexpectedly. And and in that, you you mentioned 
um, efforts to engage the community, whether it's parent, like reaching out about parents about, about who's going to be home to help, what their connectivity is like. And I bring that up to, to, to highlight and ask about uh, the relationship between the school district, teachers, and the community, and what what you're hearing and what that dialogue with the community is like as the city of Jackson and adjacently Jackson Public Schools continue to face the challenges that this water system present. Yeah, you know, uh, much like with the pandemic, um, but um, with some additional uh, challenges, uh, again, not the least of which is you just don't know sometimes when the water system is going to fail and 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 when you don't when you won't have the pressure that you need uh, to flush toilets and just to live your lives just as we were um, just prior to the pandemic you know here we are again feeling really good about the progress that we've been making and and the um, possibilities and the potential of our continuing to increase our performance levels um, we've seen some really good data uh, coming out of last year and even into this year. And what we're hearing from um, from parents is that they're frustrated. They've certainly, you know, they appreciate that we've got the devices. But again, for those parents of younger scholars who they themselves have to work or don't have custodial uh, care for their scholars to uh, to be with and and to support them during their online learning. Um, those parents are frustrated. They they appreciate to the extent that we can give them more notice so they can try to, you know, revamp their lives and, and call in additional resources with neighbors and extended family and that. But for a lot of folks, it, it has very real, you know, consequences. Uh, parents taking off time, and if you're an hourly worker, of course, that means that you're losing pay. Um, there's lots of conversation, uh, lots of frustration. Certainly we have it as well across the community, across the city, um, with regard to the lack of consistent um, and safe water. And, um, you know, as much as I, I want to maintain a focus on how we prepare young people for better lives and for lives of options and, and promise, you know, there's a very real um, you know, how do we sustain and how do we um, just kind of get through the day, um, whether they're home trying to learn virtually or on those days when we bring them in and the water is volatile and we're losing pressure and we're having to provide uh, non-potable water to support with toilet flushing, which is a very real experience that many of our team members have had over the last whatever year or, or more, and and consider that across 50 plus school buildings, 19,000 scholars plus the you know thousands of team members in those buildings, it's unthinkable. It's disrespectful. Well, Dr. Eric Green, Superintendent with Jackson Public Schools, thank you for 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 sharing so much uh, with us today, and um, we wish you luck as as you and your team and your scholars navigate this issue. Thank you so much. I appreciate uh, your attention and, and helping to lift up this issue. Um, we're certainly hopeful that things will improve, and we know we've got to continue to make the impossible possible uh, to get our, our scholars where they need to be. Well, we appreciate your time and insight. 
Coming up, business leaders lobby lawmakers to consider more economic investment this legislative session. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. What can you do with the MPB Radio app? Listen live, hear local news, view the schedule, make a contribution, listen to shows on demand, and interact with social media. Get the app for your smartphone now. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Members and leaders of the Mississippi Economic Council descended upon Jackson yesterday for their annual MEC Capital Day. The event provides business leaders a chance to discuss investment and development in the Magnolia State. Scott Waller is president and CEO of MEC. He tells our Kobe Vance transportation, workforce development, and health care are all factors in building an economically stronger Mississippi. All of those are things that are, are really weighing on the business community in a, in a sense that, hey, we've got to make sure we're moving the state forward in a positive way. And I think it's, it's, it's really the encouraging thing as we heard it from our leadership just now that, that these are issues they're willing to take on. And I think uh, the key is to be part of that conversation. And I think that's the one thing that MEC is the State Chamber of Commerce and, and the businesses that are part of MEC all across the state uh, understand is that we're, while each and every one of the people that were here today, their number one concern is to make sure their business is successful, their business is profitable, but they're also willing to give back to our state as a whole. And that's what makes MEC so special is they all have the same goal of moving Mississippi forward. What has been some of your major conversations throughout the day as y'all have been meeting with lawmakers? Well, it's, it's, been, it's been a variety of things. It's been economic development. It, it's been education. It's been, uh, again, we, we've had some conversations about health care as well. And, and I think what, we, what we're trying to do is figure out, okay, what are the things that we need to do to help move forward? You know, a, a strong and competitive and fair tax climate is important. So one of the things that, that we heard this morning was the legislation that's coming forward on, on dealing with uh, software that you download from the internet or, or remote-based services. You know, how do we do that in a way that they're not taxed at a point that makes us non-competitive? So that's just a, a, an example of an issue. How do we continue to fund the emergency road and bridge fund in a way that allows us to, to, to make the number of bridges that are needing repairs get smaller and smaller and smaller. So those are the things that we think are very important. They're going to ultimately drive our economy in a positive way, and that's how we can make a difference long term. While lawmakers were able to secure more than a billion-dollar business investment last year, the state still lags behind its regional neighbors in infrastructure and health care. Waller says leaders are aware of these discrepancies. We can't stop. 
We've got to continue to focus on a long-term sustainable program for our state roads. I think what we're seeing right now with the diversion uh, in, the, in, the, in the Internet sales tax that's collected is really important for our local roads. So as we do that and, and, and really do that, we have to make sure that happens. The other part of infrastructure that has now kind of come to the forefront is, is that that you don't see. So I think there's a lot of, you know, uh, particularly within our cities, a lot of the infrastructure, the sewer water infrastructure, is underneath roads. So a road may need repaired, but we need to fix what's below it before we repair it. Otherwise, we're just going to continually fix that problem. So I think I'm very, very encouraged by the fact that, you know, the state is matching funds and infrastructure across the state with our cities. So those things that can continue that way that gets us to a point where we can can fix the problem under the ground as well as the problem above the ground, I think it's going to make a big difference uh, long term. Something that was brought up by the Speaker Pro Tem is the need to invest in hospitals or at least find a way to help the hospitals that are struggling financially. We've heard from the hospitals already, but can you speak to the business interest in having a hospital in these communities across Mississippi to where their employees or um, others can make sure they have access to health care? Well, I think having access is very important. And I think that, you know, one of the things that uh, uh, the Speaker Pro Tem touched on just a few minutes ago was the fact that our, what does health care look like long term? And I think those are the things that, that as we get into this issue, we talk about, number one, we first have to, to make sure there's financial viability among our health system. But beyond that, we've got to think about what is that health system supposed to look like? What is it that, that each system you know, each part of the state, what is it that they actually need? And then how does it, how does the state system in general, all, and, and there, there's a, what, 111, 112 hospitals across the state. How do they all work together as opposed to being these individual entities? So we've got a lot of things that we got to look at, but, but the short term, we got to, we got to talk about the, the financial situation that exists. So all those things are part of where we are on this, but I think as we, as we get into this, it is ultimately important for every citizen to have access to care and every community to have the proper type of system to meet its population, to meet its needs, to, to help with, because that's important from a business and industry standpoint. And secondly, we've got to talk about cost. The cost of health care is, is weighing on employers, it's weighing on individuals. So, I mean, it, it, it's a twofold kind of discussion. Uh, and I'm not real sure there's a simple answer. Uh, I don't believe there's a simple answer, but I believe just having the conversation and having someone like the, the speaker pro tem say, look, let's, it's time to start. It's time to start doing that. Then I think it's, it's time to start doing that. The House Speaker Pro Tem is Jackson White, and you just heard from Scott Waller. He is the president and CEO of Mississippi Economic Council speaking with our Kobe Vance. Mississippi's Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman is among the latest politicians to announce he's running in the 2023 election. Hoseman is seeking a second term as lieutenant governor and says he hopes to run a campaign focused on building Mississippi rather than tearing down other politicians. He says his term in office has helped foster one of the best financial seasons in state history. This year, you will see us addressing everything from rural hospitals, children, what our school schedules look like, and how we're going to educate our children who are the future leaders that will sit in that capital up there. You'll see us address virtually every issue that's on the list that's positive. Holzman served 12 years as Secretary of State before being elected Lieutenant Governor in 2019.
This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.